You're listening to a best of Grill Nation. Successful media and public affairs consultant, accomplished entrepreneur and national writer and contributor, attorney who served in the Missouri House of Representatives, worked in the White House and CNN, thought leader, entrepreneur, and host who takes the conversation to the next level. Prepare to get rare access to fascinating guests. You're connected. You have the it factor. You've joined Grill Nation. Connect with Jason on Twitter at Jason Grill. Connect with the show on Twitter at Grill Nation Show. And online at GrillNationShow.com. Welcome your host of Grill Nation. Always dressed up and ready to go even in a radio studio. Here's Jason Grill. Hello and welcome to the Grill Nation Show here on KMBZ 980 AM. I'm your host Jason Grill. Thanks for joining me again this week on the radio and on iTunes. Uh, via podcast as well as at grillnationshow.com. I appreciate you uh, coming with us again for today's show. We've done about 160 of these shows now, and I think today is going to be a lot of fun. I want to thank our partners and supporters of the Grill Nation Show with Jason Grill. The title sponsors of the show are Trust, MoBank, BOK Financial, and Two West Companies, and Ryan Rink. <clears throat> Guest host and contributors to the Grill Nation Show include the Rieger and Jay Rieger & Co., Ryan Maybe. One Light Luxury Apartments, and uh, as always, uh, we look for more and more people to jump on board of the show. We will have on um, KCADC is going to be joining as a uh, quarterly guest, Tim Cowden and the group over there. Uh, exciting things going on there as well. So they'll be coming on here in the next few months. You can connect with me on social media at Jason Grill and at Grill Nation Show on Twitter, also available on Instagram, Snapchat, and Facebook. Thanks again for joining us again today on 980 AM. So for today's show, we're going to have on a friend of mine who um, <clears throat> I've known for a handful of years, I guess, probably at least 10, maybe 15, I don't know. Time flies when you're uh, having fun, right? Um, and we met many years ago when I was a state legislator in Missouri. He is a, uh entrepreneur, business owner, and owner of the Westport Flea Market. Joe's Willenberg is with us in studio, also a, a very strong Mizzou alumnus and uh, supporter. Welcome to the show. Well, as the 161st guest of the Grill Nation show, I don't know where to put the, put that on my uh, radar, but that's pretty exciting. Thanks yes, for having me. Yes, it's great to have you. So, uh, Joe, first off, let's start about, I want to start kind of and take you way back here to your background. Uh, tell us about growing up and uh, how that went. You grew up in Kansas City or no? Born and raised in Kansas City. Uh, I uh, grew up in a three-bedroom, one-bath on uh, Gregory and Warnell, Dartmouth Road, and um you know, I, I, we never had a lot, but we had a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, cousins lived across the street. Um, and I, I've always had a, I always had a knack for, uh, working and trying to make some bucks. And so <laughs> my first job was at the, the Baskin Robbins at the 63rd and Brookside, uh, $2 an hour. Okay. Um, and I got hired as uh, a 13 year old, uh, scooper. And, uh, it was pretty, it was pretty cool. I, uh, you know, not to mention the fact that, um, you know, at that time, you know, in college you give away beer, but when you're 13, you give away ice cream. So <laughs> my family's, uh, was pretty excited and it was pretty neat. It gave me a strong foundation. Uh, I remember getting my first paycheck. It was like 62 bucks and I cashed it at the dime store and I went, uh, and you know, the dime store had like all the pennies or all the candy you could eat for like, you know, 30 mm-hmm. cents would right. buy you a ton. So I just felt like a millionaire. I remember I still have the paycheck from uh, my first stub and, um, you know, so do I, which is weird. I actually worked in, uh, 
your industry for a while, restaurant. Yeah. I was a busboy at a place called Rembrandt's up north. Sure. Uh, it was kind of like a fine dining establishment at the time, and you could do weddings there, and you'd pay you $10 an hour. Oh, my God. And you were a, you were a bow tie and a tux, and, and, you know, that was the first gig. I thought it taught me a lot about customer service and people, and I think that's probably the same for you at Baskin Robbins. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it taught me a lot about, like, cleaning up, like, yeah. you know, procedures, handling cash, um, customer service. We we got sent to a – it was hilarious. They sent us actually to that ho- – well, it's not a Holiday Inn anymore, right down the street where it's, like, for sale property now, and we had a, a – uh, we had a seminar where we tried to come up with an idea to sell um, – to sell more ice cream. And so I was big in, in acronyms then. So I came up with smash. Okay. Sell more and sell high, which means selling double scoops. And Baskin Robbins actually rolled it out nationwide. Really? Yeah. I got a $25 gift certificate to like Brookside toy or something. You know, I mean, I'm like, yeah, it's a national campaign and that's what I get. But it was really cool. 13 years old. Yeah. No, I was 13 and it was a big deal. And, 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 it was just a really cool thing to to work in Brookside and have that neighborhood and and to get money, which was a huge deal. And um, it, when I was uh, when I went to high school, I went to Pembroke Hill mm-hmm. uh, in Kansas City. Well, and, well, we'll hold that against you, Joe. Yeah, because, uh, you know, as a, a pi- as a pious guy, we uh, used to have some fun times we, playing we, football against you guys. And the Rush Brothers came along and and kept us from state and basketball. You know, no, many years. nothing's greater than a Raider. You know, <laughs> actually, I heard we're not playing pious anymore in football. I think they're finally scared of us. Oh wow! No, they joined a different league. So. <laughs> That was fun though. Those those were that was a good rivalry then. It was, you know, and when I was in school, um, so I was. And you got to love all those Italians up north, right? So we had a lot of fun. Okay, so I was in charge of the pep club, another way to make money. Okay, and we charged everybody ten bucks to join, and basically it was, you know, to have parties. But so when we played Pius, we had a. I had some friends up at Pius, and you know Mario Brothers was big, and I said, you know, we should dress up as Mario Brothers, right? (laughs) For the basketball game, and we did, and like the school went nuts. They yeah. were pissed. Yeah, you know, right. They're like, "You can't do that. That's wrong." And I'm like, "No, they're all Italian. They're friends of mine." Because I knew all these pious guys, and yeah. I, I didn't even think of it as a derogatory thing. Sure, right. And so then the 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 follow up game at Pembroke, they all came in in country club outfits, tennis rackets, <laughs> and it I like was the rivalry. It was man. awesome, yeah. and so it still happens today mm-hmm. when we play. When we play Pius, the kids, the Pius kids come in dressed up real preppy and the, the Pembroke guys, you know, dress up in wife beaters or like <laughs> carrying pizzas. And it's, I mean, but I mean, that's the kind of stuff that where political correctness has gone wrong. I right. mean, people would nowadays would like go nuts. It's good, harmless fun and it's okay to have some fun with a rival. Yeah, it's right. okay to do that kind of stuff. And we did that and I worked all throughout, um, all throughout high school, I, I was a, uh, I was, I lied. I was a hoochie. I told them I was old enough to sell beer and I wasn't a singing waiter at the Waldo Astoria, which is now, which is where Kennedy's used to be. Yeah. Where now 75th Street Brewery is. Um, and I did that and I just, I had an, I had a really, really fun high school mm-hmm. career. And then I went to Mizzou. Um, and, uh, you know, I joined a fraternity down there and, and went to hotel and business school and hotel and restaurant school and, um, I, I so had kind of had this in your blood for a long time. Yeah, you kinda know knew what you wanted to do. Yeah, I mean, Jason, I don't know. There's certain people that are meant to do certain <clears> things, <throat> doctors, lawyers, that kind of stuff. I've always been really good at the restaurant industry. Mm-hmm. I just I can walk into a restaurant. Um, I can kind of see what's going on. Um, without seeing what's going on. Right. Um, I have this kind of I wouldn't say sixth sense, but it is, and it's all it's it's done it's done me a great service in my career. Mm-hmm. Um 
when I was at Mizzou, I didn't want to – at Harpo's, you had to work two years to be a doorman to be a bartender. And I didn't want to do that because I kind of like writing my own script. And so I didn't want to be yeah. a doorman. I didn't want to – I wasn't big enough to be a doorman. And so I went to the owner, a guy named uh, Randy Harper, and I said, listen, you know, I don't want to do that. I want to be just a bartender. And Friday nights wasn't a big deal at Harpo's. You know, Tuesday, yeah. Thursday, Saturday was the big deals. And I said, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I will pack this place on a Friday night. And he was like, you know, <laughs> you got to do years. the doorman. Yeah, yeah, we don't need this. Blah, blah, blah. I said, no, I'll pack the place on a Friday night if you promise to make me a bartender without being a doorman. And so I went around campus. And, you know, back in those days, the way you did social media was you had a staple gun and you had leaflets and you put them yeah. up on the poles. Yeah. So I put on all the poles, the sororities, free beer, five o'clock Harpo's, and it just said for Joe's party. And so <laughs> I told the owner, Randy, I said, listen, I got to buy a keg. I'll pay cost for a keg of natural light, which is like $42, right? <laughs> Back then I said, and I'll, and I'll get this going. And so anyway, of course, Friday shows up, the place is packed and he goes, what's going on here? I said, I, you hired a great bartender. <laughs> there and so you go. that was it. That that's was, the, that, that was that's my the entrepreneurial Mizzou store. I love it. Joe Zwillenberg is with us. Westport flea market. We'll be right back after the break. To a best of Grill Nation. Welcome back to the Grill Nation show. I'm your host, Jason Grill. Thanks again for joining us on KMBZ 980 AM and on iTunes via podcast. We're talking to Mike Shannon, who's the host of Ruckus on KCPT and a longtime radio and TV broadcaster here in the Kansas City area. Mike, you were telling us about Vietnam and coming back, and uh, you, you made a home for yourself here in uh, Kansas City. Tell us, tell us kind of about that transgression and how you uh, ended up uh, getting back involved in broadcasting. All right, I uh, I spent maybe eight or nine months at the Army Hometown News Center in Kansas City, and I met my future wife at that location. She was a civilian employee of the Army, and we met there. And uh, so when I finished my time in the Army, uh, well, actually back up during the last few months of my time, at the Army News Center, I had a weekend job at one of the local radio stations, and then I was hired full-time after I left the Army in March of 1970 and spent a year or two at that job before I went back to St. Joseph. Uh, my father had improved and uh, his condition had worsened. I went back there and uh, until his passing and worked in broadcasting there for a while and then came back to Kansas City in late 1972. Mm-hmm. And you uh, settled in KCK, is that right? Or you... Well, not a re- I, I came to work for a radio station. I always st- think of Mike I, as a yeah, KCK guy, I, I, but he's I, not. <laughs> I, no, I, I uh, went to work in late 1972 as a news reporter for a radio station that was located in and licensed to Kansas City, Kansas. Hmm. And uh, the news department there was focused on a lot of KCK news. And I lived in Shawnee for the first part of my experience there. And uh, over the time that I spent in news in uh, Kansas City, Kansas, at this radio station, I got real involved and interested in what was going on locally. And I thought KCK got rather a bad break from the local media. Mm-hmm. And, in fact, the people in government there used to complain about all the news reporters 
who would do critical stories about the city but lived elsewhere, mm-hmm. lived in Johnson County or in Kansas City, Missouri. Kind of have that problem still today with well, a lot of yeah. people in KCMO that are uh, living in Parkville Ex- yeah, exactly. or Jelko. Or- and uh, so when uh, after I got married, uh, my wife and I decided to move to Kansas City, Kansas, and we had an apartment there for a while and then bought a home mm-hmm. and have been there for ever uh, since several decades, I think. Yeah. So did you, uh, how'd you get involved in the, the, um, the political current events side of broadcasting? Because I, you mentioned you were a disc jockey. You did the cartoon thing when you were in high school. <laughs> how'd you, how'd you get it? How'd you break well, in? How'd I, you um, break in into the current m- events? political? M- my, in college, uh, I got quite interested in politics. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I was at Northwest Missouri State, I took a lot of courses in political science. And uh, most of the professors were liberal. And uh, the 1964 Barry Goldwater campaign had energized me and my interest in mm-hmm. conservatism. So I would spend much time in class debating with the professors. Uh, and it, it was uh, as a result of that that I got so interested in politics. And then doing news, of course, that's mm-hmm. a related area. Mm-hmm. And so my interest in politics grew as I worked as a news reporter and later as the news director of a couple of stations here. You did that, okay. So yeah. tell us about that. What was the difference between a news reporter and a news director? Well, the news director is like a management official who's in mm-hmm. charge of the department who hires and fires the reporters and uh, either assigns them or has someone who does assign them on behalf of what the news director asks them to do. A uh, news director is responsible for the sound of the news and the content of the news. And, you know, one of the things I found, you have to be very careful about some reporters who will have a political point of view and try to incorporate it into the news story. And believe it or not, I worked hard at avoiding that for myself and for people who worked under my jurisdiction because a newscast on radio, at least at that time, was not a place for the reporter's political so that Did that exist back then, heavily, like it does today? Not nearly as much then okay. as it does now. I mean, now. You, you have that whole line of if it's are somebody is somebody a journalist or an entertainment show. Difficult you know, to like know. You, you yeah. see that on on the, the nightly shows on CNN, Fox News, whatever. MSNBC. They watch cable. It's like two different worlds. Uh, in fact, we did a segment on Ruckus one week that you know if you watched MB, uh, MSNBC yeah. regularly and or watch Fox News regularly, you'd have two diverse points of view about what's going on in Washington and in the world. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just I, amazing. I flip back and forth sometimes to see that, you know, uh, CNN's talking about uh, something with, with the Russian investigation. Then I turn on Fox News and they're talking about people jumping across the border. I mean, it's completely different. I yeah, I, you know, there was a time when an anchor was thought to be absolutely bipartisan in terms of approach. Mm-hmm. Walter Cronkite was a great liberal as he revealed when he got out of journalism on television and left CBS, but he wrote a column where he acknowledged his views were liberal, but he tried very hard, as far as I know, to keep political partisan views out of the newscast and out of news at CBS during his tenure there. Mm-hmm. I wonder if we'll ever see that come back on a, on a big scale, or if it's now we're just, the, the biscuits are cooked, that it's a partisan world and... You know, we're never going to get back to those journalists. Yeah, I, I I don't see it happening anytime soon, mm-hmm. Jason. I you know, as much as I think it might be valuable, you know, th- it used to be you could go to a couple of major newspapers in this country and say, "Okay, here are the facts," mm-hmm. and then you decide, "Eh, those are I don't like that approach," or "I disagree with the Democratic guy or the Republican guy." Now, even those papers. Their front pages are partisan, and you don't know what to believe. You don't know what the facts are. 
Mm-hmm. You uh, mentioned your news director career, news reporting career. You also had a radio show for quite a while here uh, on Intercom Station. Yes. Right? And yeah. you uh, were on Drive Time, is that right? I, I was on, uh, well, I d- I've done other talk shows in the past on other stations. You may know the name Jerry Fogel. Mm-hmm. Jerry Fogel and I did uh, a long-running morning news and talk show uh, in Kansas City. And then at uh, Intercom on KMBZ, AM first and then both, uh, which is now just FM, right. uh, Scott Parks and I did the afternoon program. I had been here, and Scott was here as a news director, and I had been here as a business news reporter initially. Okay. And did the morning business news on KMBZ and then a Sunday morning news talk and interview kind of program. And then uh, I think it was in late 2006, uh, there was a decision made for Scott and me to pair and do the afternoon show. Okay. And we did that for a period of five years. And that was a – And he's still there. That's more of a uh, – was more of a current event it was, uh, it political was news show. talk. Yeah, uh, a lot of politics. Which is interesting because you, you and Scott both are conservative people. Well, we are, but I uh, – he, he, le- he, he was less conservative than I. Uh, but the idea, cause I'm, I'm quite a bit older than Scott. And, and one of the early ideas was here are a couple of guys who come from different generations. Mm-hmm. How do they view these things? You mm-hmm. know, what, what does Mike's generation think compared to what Scott's thinks and mm-hmm. that type of thing? So that's the thing with radio shows. You keep trying to reinvent yourself a little bit and see what works. Mm-hmm. Stations do that a lot, right? Right. Yep. They, they change from a, I mean, stations change from a business show station to a sports station to a, uh, but some of them in Kansas City have stuck around for a while, but now it, now it seems to be moving more towards that entertainment slant, which is why it's great that you continue to focus on current events and news here in Kansas City on Ruckus. Well, Ruckus does offer that, and, and Kansas City Week in Review, which is another uh, news-oriented program there. And, uh, you know, there was a time, I can recall, when I was active in broadcasting uh, daily that I'd get invited to weekend shows on the TV stations, the mm-hmm. commercial stations. I think each of them did a weekend news and review kind of show or a program talking about top stories of the week. And I'd stay pretty busy doing that as well as uh, ruckus once that began. But now I don't think any of the local television stations do much local coverage on the weekends of uh, of news stories news opinion they have newscasts there, but not, there's not, not there's not anymore and um for many years i thought about wouldn't it be cool if we get a show uh on, on a network but um you know a morning show like on the weekends like they have you know in dc and you're kind of like your show but um it just doesn't exist it just does not exist there's really nobody covering well maybe more so now with all the scandals that have been going on <laughs> in jeff city and in Topeka. <laughs> But for a long time, I mean, I'd be down in Jeff City and, and nobody would know anything going on. And the star wouldn't cover it, what was going on in local or state politics, at least. Probably more local was covered. But the state just seemed to be on its own island in, in yeah, Jeff well, City. Back when I was a news director of a couple of radio stations in Kansas City and first got involved, almost all of the radio stations in Kansas City had a news department mm-hmm. of sometimes three Four or five, you know, some of them were larger, but they all made an attempt at local news. That's not the case anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, only I think KMBZ, uh, perhaps only Bill Grady, KMBZ, they got some reporters does to go out there. Serious news reporting. Uh, many of the other radio stations have abandoned it entirely. Mm-hmm. Mike Shannon is our guest today on Grill Nation. Mike, um, before we go into the break here, 
Kind of tell us about Ruckus and that journey, because you did that um, at the same time you were on the radio. Yeah, uh, that began in 1995. And uh, What was the idea behind that, and uh, how did that come uh, about? A guy by the name of Bill Reed came to Kansas City to be the CEO or general manager of, of Channel 19, and I interviewed him on a talk show. And among the things he was talking about was his desire to enhance and, and do more local programming. And he had two ideas in mind. He wanted to do a local parallel of Washington Week in Review on PBS, hence Kansas City Week in Review, and uh, and wanted to do a local version of the McLaughlin Group, which mm. you may remember was yes. a long-running program on PBS up until the time John McLaughlin died, yeah. and uh, nobody took it over after that. And so Week in Review was first in uh, – 92, I believe, and I was a weekly panelist on that for three or four years. And in 95, we kicked off records. Who was the host of that show back then? John Masterman. Okay. Who had been with NBC in New York uh, and then came to Kansas City, went, I think, to Channel 4 originally, and things didn't work out, so we ended up at... uh, KCPT. Okay, we'll we'll, uh, we'll talk more about Ruckus. I want to talk about the evolution of the show and, and how you've changed things and what its goals are. Uh, and then I want to get into some stories, Mike. You've had a chance to go to the White House many times and also uh, have met some uh, influential politicians and Kansas City figureheads over the years. I'd like to get some uh, background information on that and learn more and then also uh, kind of learn more about some of your favorite parts of Kansas City after the break. You're listening to The Grill Nation Show. I appreciate joining us today on KMBZ 980 AM and on iTunes via podcast. We'll be right back. I got that sunshine in my pocket. Got that good soul in my feet. I feel that hot blood in my body when it drops. Listening to a best of Grill Nation. Welcome back to the Grill Nation show. I'm your host, Jason Grill, 980 AM, and also on iTunes and podcasts if you're listening via the podcast way or at grillnationshow.com. I'm talking to Jeff Hutzel, who is with Vistage International, the world's leading chief executive organization. He's a mentor and coach for fellow CEOs, presidents, and business owners who want to outperform their competition. Their goal is simple, is to create a group of individuals committed to creating extraordinary results for themselves and one another. He's also the author of a new book, I Really Meant to Tell You, Finding the Courage for Kindness. And uh, he's here with us today on the Grill Nation show. You can find his book on Amazon.com. Jeff, welcome back to the show. How are you? Great, Jason. How are you? It's great to have you. I'm glad we connected. I know we probably have hundreds of uh, (laughs) mutual friends here. Uh, but man, tell me about this book now. Uh, I want to read just a little, little passage from the overview here, if you, if you don't mind. Have you ever regretted not telling someone you love them? Have you ever lost a friendship over something that could have been fixed by the right words? Has your best employee walked out the door without you ever telling them how much they meant to you? Do you still recall that wonderful thing someone said to you so many years ago? If so, then you know that words matters. That's kind of the, the general gist of this book. I mean, tell us about this. Like, why well, write a book, and, and, and how the heck did this all happen? And it's just such a good topic, I feel like, too. You yeah. know, we don't hear about these kinds of things. No, and the funny thing is that everybody that knows me, when they say what kind – given the conversation we just had, right, mm-hmm. for them to say, wait, what? Your book's about I really meant to tell you, lovey-dovey kind of – what? what? Yeah. You're this business dude. 
You always have that thought, right? Though everyone has this thought. Like, Everybody has that. Thought. Should I? Should I say something? Should I do something? Should I? Yep. Should I? Should I hold back? You know, you're always. Sometimes it makes a lot of sense. I, the opposite of what you're saying in this book is like, hey, just don't do something. Like in life, like don't do. Like if someone says to you, hey, I want, a reporter calls and says, hey, I want you to talk about a former political opponent of yours or do this or that. Sometimes it's best to say, no, thank you. Yep. Right. It's yep. good to pass on meetings sometimes. Yep. Sometimes it's good to tell people how you really feel. Well, I think where where I put a slightly different spin on it, well, it came from the fact that I I sat in, I do one-to-one confidential meetings with all of my CEOs, and I can't tell you the number of times um, I hear about lost spouses, lost employees, lost this. And uh, let's take the lost employees, for example. That's what the book was going to be about. It's tell, tell them they matter, something like that. Mm-hmm. Because they would say, if, think about this, so, yeah, I'm kind of bummed today. What happened? Well, Jim left. And I go, wait, what? Jim, the guy that you have been bringing up for 10 years, who's going to take over your company, mm-hmm. who's going to do this, who's going to, yeah, yeah, but I can't really be good. I mean, he got a really great offer, and it's a good company, and, you know, I kind of wish him well, and I just call bull <laughs> I'm like, that is, that is exactly what you're trying to avoid in saying, oh, yeah. that, you had to be shocked when this happened. You didn't expect it. Yeah. And I said, I wonder if I had him sitting in front of me here today, would he know how much he meant to you? Well, I paid him the most. Then that wasn't my question. Mm-hmm. He has the biggest office. He's got the car allowance. I let him in on my country club, you know, whatever all that stuff is. I'm mm-hmm. saying, but does he really know? Have you ever said it to him? Yeah. Have you ever said half the reason I come into work every day is I want to see your mug and I like talking with you and bouncing stuff off you? Because you are actually smarter than me. You may work for me. I learn from you every day. Mm-hmm. If those words were said, would maybe that have made a difference? Mm-hmm. And they all kind of say, well, I really meant to tell you something like that. So mm-hmm. I took that to my family. My daughter, Jennifer, uh, is my real counselor on stuff like this. And she says, uh, that's not just business, Dad. You're being a business dude again. Mm-hmm. That's everybody. And then, you because know, she's the millennial sure. you know, school teacher or mother. And she's like, no, you just. So we expanded it out to that. And so it said, covers life, professional, and uh, family, and, and love, and, and, and work. Right, which, by the way, mirrors my job. Everybody has an image of what I've just said about what these CEOs talk about in a room. Mm-hmm. I will tell you, CEOs walk in the room, and human beings show up. That's great. We are talking about stuff that have nothing to do with business, but everything to do with the person. Mm-hmm. If we all have to be leaders, right, where's the one place? Do you have people you can talk to about this kind of stuff? Mm-hmm. So one of the biggest complaints in business, there's like two or three themes that run through here. You hear it all the time. Nobody communicates with me. Our company communicates terrible. Every score comes in, more communication, more communication. Mm-hmm. And the leaders all kind of say, well, darn it, we'll just communicate more in different ways, more media, more this, more that, intranet. Intra-. And I believe this is 40 years of business. I'm not saying it's true. I'm saying I'm holding it as a true belief for me. Mm-hmm. There's only two forms of communication any human being ever wants from another human being. One, how am I doing with you, and what's that mean for me? Okay. And on first blush, that sounds selfish and rude, mm. but at the end of the day, it's like, no, if it's a child with a parent, you know, right now they're looking at you for, Dad, Dad, watch me, watch me, watch me. It's like mm-hmm. I want him to recognize me, mm-hmm. and if Dad doesn't recognize me, the kid is wondering, it's like, if I don't know how I'm doing with you right now in this interview, 
Yeah. If you were looking out the window, I'm, I'm as you I'm, are, I'm looking. I'm right? looking all over the place. I haven't looked into your eyes, white of the eyes, for a long time here, right. Jeff. No, I'm kidding. But if yeah, you see that, that moment, yeah. If you see that happening, um, then you, you're starting to wonder, how am I doing here? And what's that mean for me? If I'm in an interview, does it mean I'm going to get the job? If I'm having a performance review, does it mean I'm going to get a raise? If I've been called into the boss's office, if I'm having that date where she says it's not you, it's me. You know, when, mm-hmm. when those are going on, you're you're thinking all the time. I don't know where I stand right now, right? Or it ain't good, and I'm gonna something's gonna happen to me. Well, we've had those conversations, yeah, that is, with everybody the, and everything. Yeah. And it's like when you said, "I now. don't know where I stand." We've all heard that many times. Yep. And the feeling that and you I have, feel like it's it's it happens more. Maybe not. Maybe you'll totally discredit. But in relationships, this happens more than in the workplace. Maybe I'm crazy. Like nobody at work, you know, you just want to make sure everything's smooth. At least I did. I, you don't want any controversies. You want you don't want any. Um, you you want to make sure everything moves smoothly. Whereas in a relationship, sometimes there's more conversations about what's going on, what are we doing, right? But and I'll label that politics, mm-hmm. right? Use yeah. your terms. Yep. yep. Not only real politics, but in business politics. Mm-hmm. What do people want to know? Yeah. Where do I stand with you, and what's that mean? If you're whip, if you're whipping votes. Yeah. Where do I stand right now with you and where am I going? And they usually, to they usually can lie to your face. Right. <laughs> can you get to the truth? Can you tell them how you feel? That sort of thing. So you wrote the book. You did it. And it happened because, I, I'm going to say this because of my Vistage colleagues, I make them make five commitments every year. I'm going to do something. I don't care what they are. Mm-hmm. But they're not goals. It's not like we're going to make a sales forecast or we're going to do this. It's like I'm finally going to you know, work out three days a week with a real trainer. Mm-hmm. Something that they can really say they did. Sure, I had written a book on mine, and one of my members, uh, members, name was Chad Zimmerman, and we were sitting down in the Ozarks at a retreat, and we were kind of going over because I, I did it, I participated as well. And he says, "So, so this book thing, Hutzel, I've been here three years; it's still on here. What's up with that? Mm-hmm. You know, why, why aren't you getting the book done?" Mm-hmm. And then I would launch into all the reasons, you know, logical reasons. It's a hard thing to do. It's all just writing a book is not easy. It's starting. Yeah. You know, what? how's it different than anything else? It's so, time. It's a time commitment, just right. like anything else. Well, you'll love this answer because my best excuse was, well, I'm learning so much every single day. I'm going to wait until I've got enough information that I can put in a book. <laughs> you know, and you know what he said? That just stop that conversation. Then just write your first book. That's like, Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> you, oh. I thought if you got to do one opus, you know, you can wait forever to do that. Oh, right. It's never it's perfect. Like, just do your first one. Just do it. And just so get something like, oh, Okay, so there we go. Now it's on the list, and everybody's saying, how's it going? How's it going? And I actually made, uh, last October, I went to the group and said, okay, I do. So there's 65 CEOs that each get an hour and a half one-to-one session a week in Kansas City. Imagine 30-minute drive time. That's a lot of hours, right? Mm-hmm. And then all-day meetings for four groups, that's a lot of hours. There aren't many hours in the day to do this. And I said, if you guys will give me October, I'll give you a book. Mm-hmm. Now, that's really sticking your neck out because mm-hmm. I had never come close to writing a book. Like a 15-page term paper the night before is probably the best I'd ever done. Yeah, right. So they said, absolutely. Because to them, truly, they're giving up an hour and a half. You know, I'm giving up 65 meetings of two hours duration. I'm like, this is, I ought to be able to get this done. Mm-hmm. So, so you completed it, was, it. They they gave it to me and that made me feel very accountable. Didn't it? Mm-hmm. I can't go back in November and say, well, 
Never really got started. Yeah, right. You got it started. The book is called, I Really Meant to Tell You, Finding the Courage for Kindness. Uh, check it out on Amazon. You got a lot of positive reviews on there. Um, you got about a minute and a half left in this segment, Jeff. Kind of break down again kind of the key tenets of this book that people, sh- if, if people are listening, that they take away from it. I think the key tenets is it's surprising to me how worried, frightened, concerned we are about having a conversation about how much you really mean to me because we've been taught that every conversation needs to be balanced. You're the best employee I ever met, but, and then we go on to the review that say how you need to improve. Mm -hmm. Or I'm afraid if I tell my employee how awesome they are, they can just ask me for a raise or the cynicism side, or I'm going to say it wrong and it's going to be rejected. And all I say is this, do you think that when you go to hug a puppy or a little baby? Why, why can we do that then? I'm only asking you to say what's awesome. If you don't have anything, if, if I don't like you that much, that's okay because those two relationships really don't matter. If it really matters, don't be balanced and don't worry. It's not about you. It's about them. Say what you believe they need to hear from you mm-hmm. to help them. If your motive's right, it'll be received right. And if it isn't, you're you're off the hook. You did what you needed to do. You said what you had to say. It's off your chest. You're done. Interesting. I like that. I'm gonna have to tell you know you've given me the book. Yep. I've read some of it. I've got to complete it though. Now I'm ever gonna be able to listen to this in my uh, headsets or is it just hard copies? We are going to be able to do an audio book. Okay, good. Right. Yeah. Okay. But, but I'll I, listen to it while I'm running. So, there you go. But It'll I motivate me. The only thing I want everybody to do, if you read the book or any part of the book, your commitment to me is you will go tell somebody one thing. There you go. One person, one message. Jeff Hutzel is with us. Uh, After the break, we're going to finish the show with uh, some good entrepreneurial and business advice. I want to make sure we get that for our listeners too today. I hope you've been enjoying the Grill Nation show. Thanks for joining us today on 980 AM. to a best of Grill Nation. Welcome back to the Grill Nation show at 980 AM. I'm your host, Jason Grill, and joined by guest host and on-air supporter of the show, Brian Saar from True Wealth and Company. Website is retirewithtrue.com, great local company here in Kansas City. Uh, Brian, what is your slogan? You want people to retire? Uh, uh, you always tell me that each and every show I forget it. but uh, Yeah, we want to help successful people make work optional. There you go. Make successful people. I love it, man. You are just Because uh, it's not, you know, nobody wants to retire because we, we all view retirement as sitting around the house doing nothing. And you want to stay active. You want to stay involved. You want to get, either give time uh, and give back. And, and, you know, I even have clients that now they want to they start businesses with their grandkids. And they're going to use their wisdom and what and in life and that and help their grandkids learn learn the world of business or to volunteer with their grandkids and to stay busy. Uh, so many times we hear, you know, people will will tell me, I don't know how I ever had time to work. My calendar is full, <laughs> and, and it's not of, of of just entertaining things. It's they they have these responsibilities, whether it's with their grandkids, whether it's with their activities, their hobbies, their travel, you know, their volunteer through their faith and that. Uh, they want to stay active. They want to stay busy. And so we call it a work optional lifestyle. Work optional. You have enough money to make work optional. And some people choose that their work is now their hobby and their faith and they're volunteering and giving back and you stay busy forever. Love it. Because they tell me that retirement, the word retirement is not in the Bible. 
You got to keep moving. <laughs> well, well said. Well said. Lamar Hunt Jr. is with us. KC Mavs, Loretta Sports Properties. Uh, welcome back to the show, Lamar. It's been a great hour so far. Uh, Brian, you want to lead us off here? You got any uh, follow ups for our last segment yeah, today? I, I just wanted to talk. So, uh, the Loretto companies uh, that you Loretto, have. Loretto, yeah. Loretto. 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 Sorry, yeah, it's okay. The no, Loretto can... companies that you have, um, you, you, have, you have three or four different. Uh, parts of the Loretto companies. Can you kind of talk through the, those four and what their uh, what their their vision is uh, for uh, for Kansas City? Well, the the there's the residential. We we just have rental homes, sure, and uh, and manage those. And uh, it's been a really bountiful market to do that. Um, we have some commercial properties that we've developed, and we've brought a couple across the finish line. And those, as we talked about, maybe earlier. Take a lot of patience and perseverance. <laughs> yes, I do. I do have a son-in-law. I'll mention him, James Arkell, who, you know, works very hard on our behalf to do that, and and really is good at forming relationships. So always hats off to him, or just thank you. <laughs> he works pretty hard. That is true. He does work yes. hard. He's he's smart though. He knows what he's doing. I mean, again, you know, bringing on people or being involved with people that know more than you is always nice. We have we have the sports. And we have the Kansas City Mavericks, and we also have the Topeka Pilots, which mm-hmm. is the North American Hockey League. That's what they would call in Canada major junior. We call it junior hockey here. These are kids that come from all over the country. They're living the dream to play Division One or Division Three hockey. We have two players this year who are pledged to go to uh, Ferris State, mm-hmm. so that's Division One scholarships. We're not going to have college hockey in this market, so this is the next best thing. These are kids that, yeah, you know, think of it as junior college. Uh, some of them are up to 20 years old, and they just want to get that next step, and this is the way to do it. So the North American Hockey League is a Tier 2 league. There's a Tier 1 league called USHL. So that's part of our portfolio. And then we have the foundation where we do um, very directed gifts for very specific things. And it could be anything from, again, we talked about this Catholic education, things like that, uh, to um, homelessness through Catholic charities or things like that, You know, addressing sort of those gut level human needs, the sort of the dignity of the human person. Mm-hmm. And then, I, you know, I'm, we're unabashedly, we're pro-life. We want to we wanna help those moms uh, who want to have their kids find a, a safe way to do it and, and, uh, and get that follow-through going. So we support some things in a very quiet way to sort of help that, that ministry, if you will. And, I mean, we do other things that, you know, it might be buying a table at this charity thing or things like that. that but, we, you know, anything we can to do to help the dignity of the human person and uplift people. That's the goal. Um, tell us about uh, the influence that your wife Rita's had and, and your uh, father of uh, six seven, or seven kids. Well, we're a blended family, so okay. we have nine kids between nine kids. us wow. and Wonderful. eight grandkids, and we're all proud of them. The youngest is 22, the oldest is 35, and they all are doing different things. Uh, three of the girls are, are moms and married moms and all that, and one son's at a Ph.D. candidate at Johns Hopkins, one daughter works for Wahoo Films in Bend, Oregon. One son is uh, working for XPO Logistics in Denver, Colorado. One son is local, and he, he's willing to do about any job you tell him to do. Uh, he's not afraid to work for, like, UPS and things like that, so that's great for him. I have one son, John, 24, who's getting a double degree. And then the youngest is lives in Dallas, and she's working in the school system there to help help kids, help kids and families. So uh, as far as Rita, boy, she's my common sense. Mm-hmm. She has a lot of common sense. She's very practical. Uh, I think if you've been married or you are currently married, uh, our wives have a way of sort of bringing us back to reality. Drop your dreams sometimes. And it's okay to dream, but it's also to say, hey, look, this needs to be taken care of right now. It's in front of us and we need to deal with it. And I think she's a, a balancing act for me because I'm a little bit like my dad. I'm not maybe as entrepreneurial, but I 
I'm a dreamer sometimes, a fiddler, you know, a little bit, a little bit too creative. And and Rita's down to earth and practical. She is the best cheese fan on the planet. I'm not kidding you. (laughs) She's very polite when we host people. She says, I'm happy to host them. I'll tell you this. I'll be friendly now. But once the game starts, do not disturb me. <laughs> she's got the binoculars, and she wants to know the details. So she's a great sports we, fan. We, we need a lot more dreamers in this community. I think yeah. it's a good thing that you're yeah. a dreamer. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. Stephen Garrett let me know. He's uh, the announcer for the Mavericks. Yes. Uh, he's been the uh, announcer for hockey for forever in Kansas City. I he's think called, 35 years. Yeah, he's called Pretty much a lot. everybody. Yeah. He let me know that um, – your wedding anniversary is this week, fifteenth. So happy it is. anniversary! It is. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, we're going to go out to California tomorrow for a couple of days, and uh, I've been asked to speak at a conference that deals with family businesses. Sure. I'm going to do that tomorrow evening, and then Thursdays is ours for mm-hmm. our anniversary. Well, that's so. a that's a good segue right there. Family yeah. businesses. So what? Yes. What do you? What, yeah, give what us are you a preview? About? Like we'd like <laughs> to know that because a lot of people are listening, thinking to themselves. Should I work with my wife? Should I work with my brother? Should I work with my sister? How well, does this work? Sometimes you don't have a choice. <laughs> like I said earlier, things fall into your lap. This is about really generations and families and how, you know, they call it Gen 1, Gen 2, Gen 3. I'm still figuring out, okay, I'm Gen 3. My kids are Gen 4. But the generations, when, for example, when my dad passed in 2006, there were some decisions that were being made up to that time on how things were going to work, mm-hmm. but then he, he died and there were certain things that were left undone. And so, you know, you have to deal with that. You have to sort of unravel it and deal with it. And so that's what all these, there, there's a lot of wealth in our country that's changing hands from generations two to three, let's call it two to three, from the baby boomers, which is where I'm at, mm-hmm. down to our generation where my kids are, 22 to 35. How do we get it to them and how do we empower them? And the, the main term I use is how do we help them earn success? Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to hand you success, but how do we position them? It's not a feel good about yourself either. Earned success means you're adding value to something and you want to pass it on and you want to develop something. And so this notion of earned success is something that's really in my mind about talking about a lot is that it, you know it's one thing to, to come from a wealthy family, and we need to acknowledge that we are because that's our reality, but it's another thing to say, well, where will this kid fit in? Because I don't have kids that want to be football scouts or general managers in football or football coaches, they didn't go that path. But so how do we, how do we deal with the gifts that we have, the wealth that we have and get it, well, get it to them. But more importantly, what do they want to do for their working lives? Because you want to earn your success. Nobody likes stuff just handed to them. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, they, you have to be empowered. You have to have a passion and a burning yeah. desire to go and achieve something. Absolutely. Um, as, as we talk about um, wealth, what's the most impactful decision uh, that you've made regarding wealth in a couple of, a couple of words? Um, you know, I, I think for us is, is we had three soccer properties in the MLS and we, we gotten it down to where we own one as a family. And I think that was, my dad was reluctant to do that, but we did it and we got it done and it's made a big difference in our whole portfolio. That's awesome. Lamar Hunt Jr. Thanks for coming on the show today. Congrats on all your success. You've motivated me to, to dream a little more and to work a little harder on the show today. So I appreciate it. Brian Sarf. Great to visit with you. Great great to have you on. And uh, as always, each and every month, great show today. Thank you all. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Grill Nation show. We'll see you again next week. Have a good one.